the first night I was here, we just spoke about the great physician, how the Lord Jesus spoke about himself as a great doctor. We spoke one night about how he said he was a great shepherd, a good shepherd, who gave his life for the sheep. I'd just like to speak about the sower tonight. In this parable, the parable, what we call the parable of the tares here, he says the sower is the son of man. I'd like just a little think about one who sowed seed. It's been a beautiful day, you know. He drew his lessons just from the everyday things, just from the garden. It would have been a regular thing to see a man just going down the field and throwing seed out. But we don't see it quite so much now, but they would have all known what it was. And most of us have sown grass on the lawn and we've seen it. Just a little seed. I remember I was in primary two. They gave me a mustard seed. I put it in a little bit of cotton wool. Squirted a bit of water on it. Put it in a test tube. Put it beside the window. A couple of days later, a wee green shoot popping up. You know, I learned that day that from that little seed, there's life. There's growth. There's maturity. Years later, you know, when I was a physics teacher, I remember giving my class a little, little video of people coming out of the, out of a very well-established university in America. It's called the Harvard University. And they brought all these biology students out. They've all got their mortar boards on. They're just graduating that day. There's a man standing with a seed in his hand <clears throat> next to a big tree. And he says to him, excuse me, sir, have you just graduated? Yes. Just graduated in biology from Harvard? Yes. Can you tell me how this seed turns into that big tree there? <clears throat> and it was hilarious, the answers that they were getting. They seemed to all forget their biology course on the spot. And they would say, well, you know, it eats the nutrients in the soil. And they would say, really? Why is there not a big hole under the tree then, sir? <clears throat> and then they would have other theories. They'd forgotten the basic rule of photosynthesis that, really, that little seed, what was its food? Its food's this stuff here. You see, a big nothing. No, that's not a nothing. It's eating the carbon dioxide in the air and turning it into carbon in that big tree. The sun helps, of course, with a little bit of energy. And it's eating the very, 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 very carbon dioxide itself. Amazing, you see. That's God's miracles, you know, all around us every day. Every time you see a tree or a plant or a flower. Just the evidence of creation. And my blessed Saviour drew lessons from the everyday small things. And he says, a man goes out and he sows seed. One of the places that it sows the seed is in, is on a, is on a path around a field. You see, a strange place to put the seed. That's where the sower went. The seed landed on the path. And they hardly hit the ground before it says in the scripture that they was trodden under feet, right under their feet. And before they could know it, why well, the birds had come out the tree and picked it up and gone. You say, what, what lessons are you going to get of that? Well, he tells us that the seed is the word of God. One of the reasons I read to you the word of God, I want to tell you it's only the word of God that can save you. I remember, you know, when I got saved, uh, I kept on praying the same prayer night after night for several weeks. <coughs> kept on thinking that I had to keep praying. and It's all about my praying and so on. And I remember owning up to a brother about how many times do I have to keep doing this? And he took me back to the word of God. He took me back to Romans 10 and 9. If you shall confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And I'd done that. And if you believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, and I believe that, thou shalt be saved. He says, you've just got to depend on the word. I remember that just being such balm to my soul. Just depend on the word. It's the word that saves, and it's the word that assures. And brothers and sisters, those of us who are saved in this gathering, it's the word that makes us progress. The word of God. And so, in these gatherings, you'll discover that Clive and I will only ever read to you the word of God. It's only the word of God that can save. And he said the seed was the word of God. 
And you say, what's it doing down by this wayside? Well, he said, that's the type of hearer that's just absolutely disinterested. I met one today. He said to me, that's just a pile of rubbish in your hand, speaking about the Bible. He said, do they live, they live like that in Bicester? I, they have, they're living in Scotland like that too. I dare say they're all over the world. They've been here since the dawn of time. People that are absolutely disinterested. Not a shadow of interest whatsoever. And as soon as the word of God, why it's trampled underfoot. Absolutely get out of my, my, my way. And if there's any moment that the seed sits there, why? The birds come down and the Lord Jesus says, that's the devil. He comes down and just takes away the seed very quickly. Can I just say, the sower still sowed seed there. I took the funeral of a man that some will know in this gathering of Phil Harding just last year. A great preacher of the gospel he was, a lovely Welsh man. That man, you know, was walking along a pier and the man was preaching the gospel in a place called Port Talbot. And Phil, as he walked along the pier, out of sheer embarrassment because the man started to preach to them, he went up to the man, he took his track and he scrumpled up in the man's face. And he, sh he spoke and he swore at the man. And the man continued to preach to him, and he went on his way to party that night. Well, you say, he's in that wayside. He was, he was in the wayside. He had no interest whatsoever. But that night he couldn't sleep, you know. He couldn't forget what he said to the man, and he couldn't forget what the man said to him. And he got up in the middle of the night, and he found in his pocket the scrumpled track that he scrumpled in the man's face. And he read it. And he learned in that tract he was a guilty sinner in the sight of God and that Christ had died for sinners. And there in his own, Phil Harding found Christ as his saviour. I want to tell you, you're never too hard. Don't care how hard you are. My saviour still loves you. But the only thing that's going to save you is the word of God. <coughs> then the seed went down and it landed on some, some kind of thin soil. Soil that didn't have too much, uh, too much depth to it. <coughs> You know, the sun shines a bit longer. You'll begin to see yellow patches in the grass. It's kind of got stony ground underneath it. Just a wee bit of soil. It's got stones under it. We call it the stony ground. And the seed goes down up. It shoots for a while. It looks like everything's fine. And then the sun goes up. Ah, you see, it's not got the root of the matter. There's no depth of soil. There's no moisture. And it all dies. And then they shall flourish. But no, there's nothing there. Underneath are stones. No root. He says, you know, not only is there the disinterested hearer, not only is this hard-hearted approach, but there is, there's the, there's the people that are disillusioned, faint-hearted. The, the word of God comes to them and initially they, 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 they hear the message and they make some sort of, make some sort of profession. They have initial interest in the whole thing, but they've never got the root of the matter sorted. They've never learned that they're a guilty sinner in the sight of God. They've never felt repentant of their sin. And they've never seen the glory of Christ. Well, they're interested in getting this salvation, but they've never had the root of the matter. They've never forsaken their sin. And there's an initial flourish, but aye, when the heat comes on, when the pressure comes on, when people start to call on names for being Christians, when persecution arises, it all comes to an end. <clears throat> I've met people like that too, you know. Not only the disinterested hearer, I've met the disillusioned hearer. The demands of discipleship was too much for them. And they've shown to what they were really are, they were just dead to God. <clears throat> I want to tell you, it's a desperate position to be in. Could be someone here and you're feeling like that's exactly where you are in the field. Stony ground. Never had the root of the matter. 
want to tell you, my friend, he sowed seed there. He sowed seed there. He's got an interest in you. And you may well have thought that there's no more hope for you. I want to tell you there is hope for you. My Saviour died for all the world. My Saviour died for every man and woman and boy and girl. The Bible says Christ died as a ransom for all, and he excluded none. Disinterested hearers and disillusioned hearers, he still died for them. On one occasion, you know, there was ten lepers came to them. He healed all ten, you know. Only one gave back to give thanks. I even healed the unthankful. And he's prepared to save the disillusioned hearer. Can I tell you today that God loves you? He wants you to get the root of the matter, though. He's not interested in any false professions. He wants reality. Christianity is real. It really transforms lives. Really changes lives. Involves a forsaking of sin. It changes lives. And ladies and gentlemen, we're here to preach the true gospel. How that Christ says, repent and believe the gospel. But then the seed, it went on to what was called the thorny ground. (laughs) Not just the thin soil. And you know, the seed, as it hits the thorn, the ground, it immediately shoots up. Uh, you know, it immediately shoots up. And, and then what happens is the thorns all around it kind of crowd out the light. And it can't get any light. And so it kind of fizzles away and doesn't make much of it. <clears throat> and the Lord Jesus said, you know those thorns? He says, that's the world. He says, the thorns are like those, he says, who... It's the cares of this world. That's what he says in the text here. <clears throat> the cares of this world and the riches and the pleasures of this life. He says, and they bring no fruit to perfection. He says, it's just the world's cares. I've seen people, you know, and I've seen them so burdened about the difficulties they have in their family life. So burdened about the health, perhaps, of a spouse or a partner or a husband, a wife, a mother or a father. So worried about the issues. They've almost got too many worries to think about matter of their soul. Maybe you're there, you know. It's too big an issue for you to open your heart to these. You're almost afraid. I want to tell you about a man. And the scripture says, Casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. He wants to take the full burden of your cares on his own shoulders. That's my saviour. The riches of this world, we've met them. You know, the matter of salvation, why that's secondary, because, you see, they've got the world to live in. They want money. They want to make it in life. They're they're actually out to do things. They're going to be a self-made man. And you may see them years later, you know. It's just not quite worked out as they thought. And even if they did get their millions, it's not brought any happiness. (laughs) I want to tell you, my dear friend, the greatest riches are found in Christ. You might be a pauper on the earth, but you can be rich in heaven. Do you know what it says of my Saviour, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. I want to tell you, true riches is knowing the true gospel. True riches is found in knowing Christ. And what about the pleasures of this world? By the way, there's pleasure in sin. The Bible makes that clear to me. There's real pleasure in sin. Let's not be thinking that there's no pleasure in sin. There is. But the pleasure for this world will only take you in one way. It's ultimately to unhappiness. The pleasures are transient. And he says that seed that hits the thorn in the ground, why? It's choked out. It's, people are just what I'll call a distracted hearer. 
They've got too many interests, whether it's cares or riches or material things. And matter of the salvation of their souls, not top priority. I want to tell you, if the matter of your soul's salvation is not top priority, you'll never get saved. It was my blessed Saviour that said, Seek ye first, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He only accepts, you know, being given the position of number one. He wants to be Lord of your life. And as has often been said, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. He wants number one priority. But the seed was sown there. You know, he then sows seed on the good ground. And if you know the parable he's just told, well, in the good ground it does what it does in the garden here. The good ground, the seed goes in and it hits the soil and the moisture in the sun and before you know it, why, the little shoot's growing up. And there's the little flower or the tree and the fruit and it grows. And before you know it, there's a whole field of wheat. Something for the glory of God. A harvest just for his glory. And you say, well, what's the point? Well, there's a determined hearer that when he hears the word of God, he says, he accepts it. When he hears the word of God, he believes it. When he hears the word of God, he keeps it. When he hears the word of God, he receives it. You say, well, I, I couldn't really keep it up. You know, how do you think a seed grows? How do you think a seed grows? <laughs> There's a, a unique parable in Mark's Gospel all about that, you know, about how a seed grows. It's unique to Mark's Gospel. You should read it for yourself in Mark 4. And in that particular parable, he speaks about the seed, the blade, the, cor- the, the ear, and the full corn in the ear. He knoweth not how. None of us really know how a seed grows. No matter how clever we are. It's done for it, isn't it? It's all done for it. And I want to tell you, you'll not be thinking, if you come to Christ, that you're going to keep yourself. He'll do it all. He's done it all. My Saviour has already completed all that's necessary to necessitate your salvation. That's why we gave it that hymn today. It is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Saviour. It's all done. And just as that seed grows... And it doesn't depend on the seed for its growth. So it is the case that the word of God will have its own effect in your life. He'll keep you. And he'll preserve you. And so in a very short parable, he divides this audience up into four parts of the soil. In this audience, there might be, there just might be, people that are hard-hearted and disinterested. I want to tell you that God loves you. But if you stay there, you'll be judged for your sins could be that it's there and the birds are coming down and the devil is having a field day on you, picking away at your mind, ruining it for you. It could be there's people here and you're disillusioned here, you're kind of faint-hearted, you're kind of unthinking, you've kind of had an interest before but it's never really been come to much. It's, it's just been a false profession and as it says in the parable here, the Lord Jesus says that, that for a while believe but in a time of temptation fall away. You've never really got the root of the matter and we're longing, you know, that you'll get the root of the matter tonight the root of the matter. You need Christ, my friend. You really do. There's no one else. Or there may be someone here and you're a half-hearted here and you're distracted. You've got the world. You want to live for the world. I just heard their brother Johnny Black give his testimony in his garden today. He said that at the age of 19 he wanted to live for the world. He's not alone, you know. There's a number of us. That was the true of us. We were just in the thorny ground. Thank God we heard the gospel. Thank God we heard that God loved us 
and we realized there was a better world than this world. There was a heavenly world. There was a heavenly man that died for us and rose again. We're longing, you know, that you'll become a determined hearer and you'll just receive God's word. You say, is it as simple as that? It's as simple as that. The Lord Jesus said, when he told the parable after that, the parable of the tears, a slightly different parable, he says, now the sower is the son of man. I get great encouragement that he's sowing. I really do. You know, I'm glad I can sow the seed of the word of God tonight and I believe the power lies in the word and I believe you can get saved through the word. But I'm so glad that he said the sower is the son of man. I'm so glad that he's sowing. You know, because if he's sowing, the kingdom's going to increase. It doesn't matter what birds come down. It doesn't matter what thorns. It doesn't matter what thistles. It doesn't matter what stones. It doesn't matter about the flesh, the world, the devil. It'll prevail. It says in the middle of his sowing, why there was an enemy came in and sowed tears. An enemy came in and put stuff in the field that kind of looked apart, but as it grew up, you realised it was just a counterfeit. You might just be sitting just now, aye, looking the part, looking the part of a real Christian, wearing the label Christian. But the reality of Christ in life has never been yours. You've never known the reality of salvation. I want to tell you, the one who's the sower is also a weeder. And he calls angels to weed his field. And he weeds out all the tares until there's a field full of wheat. I believe, you know, there's going to be a rich harvest one day. I'm part of that harvest. I don't know why. I, I don't deserve it, ladies and gentlemen, but I, there was a day in my life when I accepted Christ as my Savior. I'm part of a rich harvest. There's going to be a day, you know, when not only this body here, but every single saint's body that's been buried will be raised and it'll be transformed like unto his own body of glory. And what a harvest it's going to be. The Lord Jesus says, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it will bring forth much fruit. And I'm part of that. I'm part of a great field. Maybe you don't know how much a field of wheat costs and what it values, but I'll tell you what, this field of wheat is a great, great value. Right? It cost the Lord Jesus his, his blood and it cost God his son and he died for the world. But if you're a counterfeit, he'll weed you out. You'll be found out, you know. And the Bible says that they took the tears and they had a big burning. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a real lake of fire. And we beseech you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. We're not here to give you fear to Christ. It doesn't work. We've discovered that. But we do have a solemn responsibility to warn you of future judgment. And so we bring to you the love of Christ. And we tell you a simple story of a man that's sowing seed. And he wants to make you something for his glory. He wants to nurture you. Dung around you. He wants to shine the light, of energy, the light of heaven upon you. He wants to give you the very oxygen of glory. He wants to see you develop and flower and bloom for his glory in life. And he's going to take you one day to a great harvest in the glory. He's got such big plans for you. Don't be a stony, half-hearted, hard-hearted hearer. Don't be thinking that old devil needs to get you. He's sowing seed. He wants you tonight. He wants you in his garden. Won't you trust him? May it be so for his name's sake. The synoptic gospel records speak concerning this nameless man, the centurion. But we read in John chapter 20 and verse 30. 
Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. This is the verse. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. The centurion came to a conclusion concerning this man, Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know what your conclusion is in this meeting, but I do pray that by the end of this meeting you'll come to the conclusion along with the centurion, along with that which God gives us concerning His Son, that He is indeed the Christ, the Sent One, the Saviour of the world, the bearer away of sin. And He is indeed the mighty Son of God, the unique person of Jesus Christ the Lord. I think about this man and my friends, I, I want to just say if I was to write over this man, I would write over him that he was a man who was glad he went to work that day. He was a man that he didn't know Jesus of Nazareth was going to be uh, crucified that day. There was a, there had been a hasty decision the night before in Caiaphas's hall. And Jesus had been led to Pilate the next morning. And it wasn't expected that Jesus of Nazareth was going to be crucified on a cross that day. And as the proceedings of the day unfolded, this man witnessed a unique event. And he came to a conclusion at the end of it. I don't know how he went about his morning. I suppose he woke up. He had been maybe in a sleep the night before and he woke up, took charge of the post. Maybe, I'm just surmising, maybe he took his clipboard and there were three prisoners to be executed by crucifixion that day. Barabbas was one of them. A man named Barabbas, maybe it said on his clipboard. There were two other men whose names we don't read about in the scripture. I presume from the reading of scripture they were in cohorts with Barabbas because it tells us that Barabbas lay bound with them who committed murder in the insurrection. It tells us that Barabbas was a robber and it tells us that these two men were robbers too. And I wonder if they were just three men together in their crimes. Those three men were going to be executed that day by way of Death upon a cross, a terrible, terrible end to life. My friend, I want to ask you in this gospel meeting, how will you end your life? If your life was to be taken in this tent, where will you go? Will you end your life in your sin? The Lord Jesus said, if you die in your sins, Where I go, you cannot come. What a tragedy. But that's why we're here in this gospel tent that we might preach to you the message of life. I thank God, although we have to acknowledge the reality of death, the preaching in the gospel tent is a message of eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. It's a message of hope for your soul. This man, he woke up that morning, maybe had his breakfast and went about his daily business, got to his post, received maybe the information of those individuals that were going to be crucified that day. But things changed as the morning unfolded. Suddenly there was a, there was a prisoner in the dark. 
His name is Jesus. Maybe he had heard the name. I don't know. But here was a man who had come face to face with the Son of God. Last night we were hearing of another man who came face to face with the Son of God, Pilate. Pilate made a tragic decision. He sent Christ away to be crucified. I thank God that by the time we end this man, he comes to a very different conclusion. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll see this man in glory. We'll come to that in a moment, but as the proceedings unfolded, he had never seen a man like Jesus of Nazareth. Here he was led in. Now Jesus Christ was face to face with Pilate, the Roman governor. Men trembled in the face of the Roman governor who had authority to release them or to crucify them. Do you remember the words of Pilate, the Roman governor, to the Lord Jesus Christ that my brother brother read to us last night in the tent when he said to Jesus Christ, I have power to crucify thee, I have power to release thee. The Lord Jesus turned to him, Thou canst have no power except to be given thee from above. No authority against me except it's been given you from God himself. No man could say that. This man, this centurion, had witnessed possibly hundreds of crucifixions before. Men had trembled in the presence of Pilate. Now here's a man standing face to face in supreme silence, under control. When he suffered, he threatened not. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. A man who had been mocked and beaten and disfigured. And this Roman soldier, this centurion, he's gazing into the face of the very Son of God. He had never seen an individual like that. You know, it's Luke that tells us, when the centurion saw all that was done, he came to his conclusion. I wonder what it was when the centurion led that band of soldiers and Christ up Calvary's hill. As the relentless sun, with its pitiless rays, beat down upon the Son of God as he carried his cross, beneath the load, they compelled the man Simon the Cyrene, who helped him carry the cross to Mount Calvary. What a sight with the women following as the, the procession proceeded up the hill. The centurion saw the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, to him then. He saw him turn and say to the women, weep not for your, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. There's a day dawning, my friend, on planet earth when they shall call upon the rocks to hide them. The tragic day that sinners will leave salvation till it's too late. And in that day, God's judgment is unfolded upon planet earth. I tell you, my friend, in this tent, if you're not right with this, with, with, if you're not right with God and you're still in your sins, my advice would be to stay in your seat until you're saved. This matter is too serious to leave. 
God knows exactly when he will close your ha- his hand upon your breath, if it so be. Or the saints, the Christians will be taken out from this tent. I wonder what it will be, an awesome moment when Christ steps into space and calls away the Christians. And in a moment of time, the gospel ceased to be preached. And souls left on planet earth for the unfolding of God's judgment in the tribulation days depicted for us on the chart here. The tribulation. An awesome thing, my friend, of unprecedented judgment upon planet earth. Would you leave salvation until it's too late? I wonder how many have been in this tent this week and you've heard the gospel of God (coughs) and you've heard the claims of Christ that he's the saviour of sinners and yet on your seat, the little plastic seat in which you sit, you're fast on your way to hell. My friend, be wise. What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? This man, as he proceeded to Mount Calvary, they arrived. He ordered the execution of this prisoner, in particular, Jesus of Nazareth. He had heard him been called the Christ. He had heard in the judgment hall concerning that he was a king. He had heard him be stated as the son of God. In fact, the accusation that came from the Jewish Sanhedrin was that he had said he was the son of God. A mighty claim. A man on earth to be equal with God in heaven. A man on earth who has the very power of God. Maybe he had heard that this Jesus of Nazareth had forgiven sins. You remember there was an occasion when Jesus Christ dispensed the forgiveness of sins to an individual and there were those around who said, who is this that forgiveth sins also? Isn't it only God that can forgive sins? My friend, here was God manifest in their very presence. And it dawned upon this man's soul that he was an individual who was unique. When he was spat at, he didn't spit back. We learn from the, from the prisoners, we learn from the malefactors that went with Christ, that when they arrived at Calvary, and when they were nailed to a cross, their mouth was full of cursing and bitterness, and they cursed the very Son of God. But when it came to Christ, The centurion didn't hear him curse. Not once. He looked into the eyes of the Son of God. He heard him say, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Can I tell you, my dear friend, precious soul in this tent tonight, that God is willing to forgive you. He's looked upon you in pity in all your ignorance. Day after day, God has pursued you. Has you in the gospel tent now to hear again that you can be saved. You can be rescued. 
receive the gift of God which lasts for eternity. The undiminishing gift of God which is everlasting life. That shall go on and on and on. Oh, the wonder of being with Christ eternally. What a blessed person he is. What a future that's going to unfold for those that trust the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessed place to be. What security for all eternity. I was talking to my wife today about the... uh, Just trying to find the correct terminology. I want to be accurate and not exaggerate. The disappointment of rejection, maybe. You know, it's not a nice thing to be rejected. I don't know whether you've ever felt the pain of rejection. But it's horrible. And it's probably worse when you're rejected by those who you love. Rejected by those that you're tied to. Even by nature. Rejected by friends. And as we were discussing these things. We thought of the rejection of the person of God's son. Are you living in rejection of God's son? My friend, you come and you receive Christ as your savior. God will receive you. And as we spoke upon these things and spoke about the reality of life and that which different individuals endure in life, we thought of those passing days. We live our days as a tale that is told, says the psalmist. Yes, there is sorrow, but I tell you, my friends, for the soul, the Christian soul that has trusted Christ, that's safe in the very hands of God himself, there's eternal bliss. No rejection for eternity, welcomed into the very house of God himself. Oh, I tell you, my friend in this tent, what a terrible thing to go out and be rejected by God for eternity. I remember a man saying at the door of a gospel meeting as I went to shake the hands of the individuals that were leaving and a big burly man got to the door and gripped my hand and he said these words and I've never forgotten them. He said, a soul that rejects God for their life, God will reject them for his life. It's just that your life is for time. God's life is for eternity. My friend, you'll never cease to exist. But if you die without Christ, it won't be life. The Bible says it's the second death. To exist for eternity in a body, in your body, separated from the eternal bliss of God's presence with the conscious knowledge that you have your sin in the blackness of darkness my friends come to Christ in this tent he's worthy of your trust there were some missionaries on one occasion that separated themselves from their families 
went to the dark, got into the boat to sail away to another country, to an island, in fact, some Moravian missionaries. And as they went away, sailing away, the dark, the ropes were cast off the little ship and it departed out of the part, out of the port. Teenage boys they were, 18 and 19 years old, and they linked their arms around each other and waved goodbye to their parents. They were sailing off to an island where slaves were kept, and the owner of the island had said, there shall be no gospel on this island ever, and they sold themselves into lifetime slavery to take the gospel to that island. And as they departed out of the port, they linked arms and shouted across the causeway, may the lamb that was slain received the reward of his sufferings I want to tell you for eternity he'll receive the reward of his sufferings it says he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied would you reject such bliss just for a few days of sin what's keeping you back in this tent My brother has told and testified to you this evening, there's nothing too hard for God. Just surrender at the foot of the cross like this man did. Interesting to note, the last man that got saved before Christ died was a man that this centurion watched. I can only imagine he heard it. I can only imagine he was he was transfixed as he saw this unfold. The man had been cursing Christ and now he's saying to Christ, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ turned to this man and with authority and power and love in his heart, he said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I can only see the centurion as they sat down and watched him there. Oh, the wonder of what was unfolding. And the sky was darkened, the sun was darkened. And in the darkness he heard Christ. My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? But thou art holy. And he heard him cry. Oh, the cries of a man who has forsaken of God that you may never be forsaken. That I may never be forsaken. Blessed be his name. He's a worthy saviour. He's a welcoming saviour. He's a wonderful saviour. This man, the centurion, tells us in Luke's record that when he saw those proceedings unfold, he saw Christ speak to the women. He saw Christ save this individual on the cross next to him. He heard Christ in the darkness. It tells us in Luke's account there was darkness over all the earth. And when he saw all that was done, he said this, certainly, this is a righteous man. This is a man beyond the reach of sin. I am thankful to testify to you in the tent, my friend, that we preach a sinless Savior, the Son of God, beyond the very potential of sin itself. 
beyond the stain of it, my friend, he could come and touch the leper and remain undefiled. You and I touch a leper, we immediately become diseased with that terrible leprosy itself. But the Savior, the Son of God, could come and place his hand upon the leper and remain undefiled. He could walk through this world as the sinless Lamb of God without spot and without blemish. Without blemish and without spot. Outward perfection. Inward purity. And you know the centurion in the three hours of daylight when he witnessed Jesus Christ hanging upon the cross he saw outward perfection in the darkness when Christ was scrutinized there came forth this inward perfection nothing could taint his holy soul And yet he bore our sins. The very judgment of God. Whilst nailed to the tree. What a saviour. So the centurion. Says Mark. When he saw how he so gave up the ghost. He had seen the proceedings unfold. He witnessed a man whose life did not ebb away. He watched a man, triumphant, pillow his head and say, Finished, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Oh, he dismissed his life with power and with authority. He is the only man on planet earth who could say, My friend, I have power to lay it down. I have power to lay it down of myself. I have power and authority to take it again. The mighty son of God. And here's the centurion. And he's watching these proceedings unfold. And the ground begins to quake beneath his feet. And the rocks are rent. And the graves are open. And it says they feared greatly. And he said this. Truly. This righteous man is the Son of God. And if the last person to be saved before Christ died was a Jew, the first person to be saved after Christ died was a Gentile. And surrounding the cross is the message of salvation to the whosoever. I tell you, in this tent, precious soul, you can be saved. Just give me, please, 30 seconds. John says, these things are written. My friends in this tent, we're not here to waste an hour. We're not here to pass by the time with some religious ceremony. We're here to tell you, these things are written that ye might believe That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you might have life through his name.
or an offer for you in this tent. Take Christ by faith and you'll receive the gift of God, eternal life. Now we're going to pray.